Hey, what's up everybody? I'm Dr. Feigenbaum. I'm joined with Dr. Baraki. As always, today we're talking about testosterone. All right, thanks for joining us here on the Barbell Medicine YouTube channel or podcast if you're listening. Uh, Austin, what's going on, man? Doing all right. This lovely, nice, warm, let me see, it's about almost 70 degrees here in San Antonio on Christmas Eve. Can't complain. So what you're saying is global warming is real. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll not complaining. It's fine. It was, in its, it was in the 30s the other day here in Santa Cruz, and uh, I reconsidered life. Just, yeah. Not not gonna not gonna deal with it. Uh, so we'll cut right to it because we got a lot to talk about today, and I I want to get into it. Uh, we're gonna talk about testosterone today, or if you live below the Mason Dixon line, testosterone. <laughs> so um, first off, let's tell people what testosterone is. So I'll let you kind of lead the charge here. What is testosterone? Let's start with where it comes from. You know. Yeah, so I think I think most people's understanding of testosterone is basically limited to the idea that it is like the prototypical male hormone. It's what makes quote unquote men men, basically, from a physiological standpoint. You know, a lot of people just got triggered. So let's. We've uh, talked. Yeah, we've talked about some of the the there there is admittedly like this biological kind of gradient that we've talked about in the past, including some like genetic conditions, androgen insensitivity, things like that, that make this whole topic a bit more complex. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, we're going to get into it for sure. But but I think what, what I want to just clarify is that when we say prototypically male, and I don't want to be you know too pedantic about all this stuff, but uh, we're talking about things, uh, characteristics such as broad shoulders, lots of lean body mass, uh, you know, being able to respond very robustly to training, uh, for instance, uh, particularly in the context of either resistance training or sports performance. When we talk about like prototypical male traits, also, you know, if we're talking about just in general, uh, excess body hair, uh, deepening of the voice, things of that, these sort of secondary sex characteristics that are typically attributed to males. And, and you know, I, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole and, and be overly politically correct uh, about this, this sort of thing because um, I think when you're discussing issues like this, it's it's difficult to walk that that tightrope. Uh, yeah, I think we're I think the main purpose of what we're talking about today is to kind of address this from a biological physiological standpoint and how it pertains to people's training, um, and you know consequently there are some interesting kind of psychological issues at play here that we run into a lot with some of our trainees. So I think we're going to get into that a little bit as well. But you definitely listed out, you know, the typical secondary sex characteristics that we talk about. Those are the things that will commonly become more apparent in a pubertal, post-pubertal male when that hormone tends to rise very significantly. So basically testosterone is this, it's a steroid hormone, and steroid just refers to a certain component of the chemical structure um, from a, like an organic chemistry standpoint. And it's synthesized from uh, cholesterol, interestingly. Uh, we talk about this in some detail at our, at our seminar about, you know, people talk about good cholesterol, bad cholesterol, things like that. And really, there's just one thing called cholesterol that has a whole bunch of bodily functions. And one of these functions is to end up being um, utilized in the synthetic process to produce testosterone. And it's produced in both men and women, but there's like a, usually like at least like a 20-fold difference in daily production of testosterone between men and women. The predominant 
a proportion of it is synthesized in the male testes, um, but also there's a small proportion of it that's synthesized in the adrenal glands, uh, and that's primarily where it'll come from in, in, in women as well. Um, so that's kind of the basics of what it is, what it does, and where it comes from. Right. So, and then <clears throat> it uh, effectively, the, uh, one of the more interesting things uh, about testosterone uh, as far as its sort of function from the get-go, um, all fetuses are, uh, the default programming is to become female, right? So no, no matter if your genotype is XX or XY or something in between, your the default programming is to become a female until, unless told otherwise by the presence of testosterone. So uh, if you have an XY genotype and you're uh, functioning uh, as phys you know, uh, normally, you have this SRY region of the Y chromosome that effectively ends up uh, allowing testosterone uh, production to occur within the fetus to get the Leydig cells of the testes to also pump out a little bit of testosterone, which ultimately changes that default programming from female to male. Uh, and then as we would expect uh, with humans being more complex, um, some things can go wrong, many things can go wrong, or many things can go a little bit differently. <clears throat> but in any event, that's kind of how we start. And, and so uh, later on, we're going to discuss uh, kind of the effects of testosterone and its various levels on performance. Um, but what we're going to see is that it's not very cut and dry. Uh, there's a lot of gray zones and, and you needing to know that from the get-go, testosterone has an effect on uh, human uh, tissue morphology, uh, human tissue characteristics, um, uh, for instance, like the uh, nervous system uh, is heavily influenced by testosterone from, from the get-go, from being, I mean, it literally in the womb. So testosterone's got a ton of different functions, um, and I think you summarized it nicely as far as what what is it uh, and, and, and kind of uh, what, it, what it can do. Um, as far as its, uh, uh, you know, sorry, as far as its use in the clinic, I think your and I, ex your, uh, I think our experience has more to do with people wanting to figure out if they're low on testosterone. So I think this is a good time to just kind of go over how do you test to see if you have low testosterone? Yeah. So, so this is something that, um, if, for people who might, uh, prefer to learn it, I guess, more in writing versus auditory visual. I wrote an article about this on the Starting Strength website you can check out. But basically, um, the diagnosis, you know, what we're looking for when we talk about this low T, that's what you hear on the commercials, that's what you see on some of the billboards when you're driving down the highway. The term, that that's like the lay term for the clinical diagnosis known as hypogonadism, meaning your gonads are functioning suboptimally. And so basically, you know, when you, um, when I say it's a clinical diagnosis, not not meaning that you can just completely diagnose it based on someone's history and their symptoms they complain to you, but the decision to test someone's testosterone levels is typically going to be driven by a certain complaint, meaning they're going to come in complaining of symptoms that might be suggestive of the diagnosis that you will then pursue and evaluate for. And this is how we do things in most of, you know, in, in the majority of medical situations, except for in those situations where screening ahead of time has been deemed, based on the research on the matter, to be uh, valuable for a number of reasons that we've talked about in, in other settings in terms of what makes screening valuable. So it's typically tested for in the setting of suggestive signs. Or so yeah, this is a laundry list of sort of, uh, and I, what you and I have described as some non-specific symptoms and then also 
reasonably specific symptoms. More, the, yeah, I think it's basically a spectrum of less specific and more specific symptoms. And basically, the more, the further down this this uh, spectrum you go, the, the higher your kind of your likelihood or your, your we would call it your pretest probability <laughs> pre-test of something probably, like this. Sure. We, you know, we don't want to get down the jargon land too bad, but you know, the most non-specific of them, for example, would be something like fatigue. We have a lot of people who you know train with barbells or who are coached by some of our some some um, you know barbell coaches and. They complain of fatigue, and so that kind of tips off a thought: Hey, maybe you, maybe you have low testosterone, and it's, and it's possible. Um, you know, other things like decreased lean body mass, increased body fat. Obviously, that's super common, which means that it's not particularly specific for this condition, but it's something that can be consistent with having low testosterone or hypogonadism. Um, certain types of mood disturbance, sleep disturbance, loss of libido. Everybody, that's the first thing a lot of men think about nowadays. Um, is having to do with testosterone, things like actually uh, reduced bone mineral density and osteoporosis in men actually is something that, you know, if I see a male with osteoporosis, I'm actually immediately going to test their uh, testosterone levels, see that in certain situations um, as well. And then infertility, loss of body hair, um, and rarely erectile dysfunction. I only say rarely because erectile dysfunction is, is, is not uh, the typical manifestation of this in the absence of any of these other symptoms. So if you have if you have such low testosterone to the point where you have erectile dysfunction as a result, it's typically going to be accompanied by a number of these other conditions. If your energy and your libido and all this other kind of stuff is fine and you, there's just erectile dysfunction present, it's pretty unlikely to be related to primarily uh, testosterone-related causes. It's more likely due to things like diabetes and you know neuro- neurologic, vascular, or or psychological causes as well. Yeah, that was actually, uh, there was a bulletin released by the American Lipid Association, again, this is back in 2012, was suggestive that, uh, you know, when dealing with erectile dysfunction, one of the first screens should actually be for coronary artery disease or peripheral vascular disease, just as that's a very common presenting symptom. Um, yeah, and, and, and again, in the clinic, people are, uh, the physicians or healthcare providers going to be sussing out like, okay, what is the cause of this ED or what are the you know, uh, potential contributors. So is this uh, like a mood disorder, for instance? Is this some anxiety? Is this, uh, you know, or, or more uh, vascular or, or other other cause? But, but yeah, I, I think we get a lot of people who are like, hey, I should just check my testosterone, right, just to see what it is. And it's like, well, not necessarily, because if you don't have any symptoms, I'm not sh- sure if I'd want to do anything about it anyway. You know. Yeah. It, it, it. Not only that. So I had I had a patient actually who who suggested who requested something like this recently with me, and I said, look, you know, I'm here to kind of I'm here more as a consultant for you. That's kind of my role uh, to make certain types of recommendations, and I want to make sure that you understand the implications of what you're doing if we do decide to undergo this screening process and just check your number quote just to see where you're at because we have a lot of guys who want to do this, particularly people again who train. They're in the strength training world. They're into you know having a lot of muscle mass being real strong and they associate all that with testosterone and they want to make sure that they're kind of as optimized as possible. And that's kind of an understandable position to be in. That's what that's they want to make sure that they're not like missing out on anything by by uh, not knowing or if there's something they can do about it. But again, in the absence of any symptoms whatsoever, it really suggests that the endocrinologic system that from that particular system is actually functioning fine. Additionally, if you were to check and you get a certain number, it leaves us very uh, unsure of what to do with that information. And the reason why is because the normal range, as we'll discuss when we talk about testing, is fairly wide um, for total testosterone in men. And so it's so wide that that reflects um, 
probably a lot of complex underlying physiology that we might not even completely understand. One example of this concept is, you know, there might even be some degree of variation in sensitivity of their uh, testosterone or their androgen receptors throughout their body that leaves them feeling normal at a given level, whereas someone else might feel symptoms at that level. Um, this is something that we have not completely figured out yet in the research literature, but um, it's something that, again, is can be kind of a confounding factor. And so if you're in a situation where you understand very little of this underlying physiology, you don't really know much about, but, but you just know that like high testosterone, good, low testosterone, bad, um, then just fixing those numbers but with medication, which can have some consequences, side effects, things like that, might leave you underwhelmed in terms of the results that you might get. You might be committing yourself to a lifetime of therapy that you didn't need. Um, there's a lot of cost and all kinds of other stuff associated with that. So there's a lot of implications to consider when you want to just, quote, like, check to see where it's at, because it's really difficult to interpret those results in the absence of any symptoms. Yeah, right. And actually, so I did some digging just in preparation for this discussion, because that was actually my initial thought, is that there's a heterogeneity, or, or put more simply, a difference in uh, both androgen sensitivity uh, and number of receptors, for instance, uh, uh, that the testosterone would actually bind to at a, at a very different uh, level. And in fact, there's some reasonable evidence, in my opinion, uh, that that actually what is occurring. And, and I don't think that's the only reason for the uh, wide range. And, and in fact, when you, if you read the American Academy of Clinical Endocrinologists sort of, you know, long-winded position stand on this, and uh, they suggest that the, the range is due to a host of different factors. One, testing accuracy, that's a problem. Two, to this sort of difference in antigen sensitivity. Um, and, and so just to suss that out for the interwebs, that means somebody, you know, if the range is 250 to 1200, for instance, which is gonna be based on the lab, uh, specific lab that you're getting tested at, the person who's got 1200, right? Everyone's like, oh man, I want that number, 1200 so high, it's awesome. Yeah, well, he may be less sensitive, and in fact is likely to be less sensitive to testosterone and its subsequent effects than the person who's walking around at 400, for instance, uh, or, or 300. Uh, and, and effectively, that's one of the reasons why the range is so wide, um, because it, those two people have effectively the same you know, biological the, profile. If the signaling pathway is kind of proceeding uninhibited, then you know they, they're if at the end range. So basically, the way testosterone exerts its effects is it circulates throughout the body. It can get into the cell, bind something called the androgen receptor that ends up going into the nucleus of a cell and then initiating DNA transcription, translation, protein synthesis, et cetera. So basically it goes into the cell and stimulates protein synthesis of a variety of different proteins, not just muscle protein synthesis, bone, all kinds of other, all kinds of other proteins get synthesized. And so if that signaling is occurring, sufficient uh, with, with, you know, enough signaling is occurring to uh, result in all the normal physiologic functions happening, then effectively we call you, you go now meaning you're not hypogonadal, meaning you have normal kind of gonadal function and testosterone signaling throughout your body. Um, but definitely I agree that there's a wide number of factors that influence kind of this, this broad range we see. And I think one underappreciated component is how wildly testosterone levels can fluctuate uh, on a kind of time scale. So I recently, ha I recently had a guy who came and he had, you know, just wanted a consult for this for this value, and he had had two different readings that were taken, and they were like 150 points off. He was like, "How can that happen?" And so I had to kind of explain that's like, that's not a, you know, that's not unexpected based on the timing that you had it drawn and kind of the normal physiologic fluctuation that we expect to see in a lot of people. Right. Yep. And especially day to day, even over the course of a day, which we'll actually talk about when we come back after this break about testing. 
Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Barbell Medicine Podcast. Hopefully you guys are enjoying it. I wanted to take a second and talk about GainsRx. GainsRx is now shipping Amazon Prime if you get it on their website. And through our website, you can get a subscription where GainsRx is delivered to your door every month for a $5 discount per tub. The idea is that you take GainsRx pre and post workout. It's got all the right ingredients to maximize your performance, improve recovery, and ultimately give you the biggest bang for your buck when it comes to exercise supplementation. A lot of people ask me, hey, Jordan, why did you even make this supplement in the first place? Well, at the time, I was recommending people take all these different supplements. They'd have to get multiple bottles, dose the things properly, and people just weren't doing it. It was too hard to do. So I put it all in one supplement. You take one scoop before, one scoop after, and you're done. Uh, We typically see improvements in performance and recovery metrics when we track them. So the idea was if you were going to supplement anyway and you wanted to take stuff that was actually going to work, let's put it all in one supplement. We'll put it out on the market and see how it does. So there's been a ton of people who have told me that they've gotten great results from it. Looks like things are going well. and So you can get GainsRx at the barbellmedicine.com store or you can get it on Amazon. We really appreciate you guys and thanks for listening. Make sure that you give us some feedback on our podcasts and we'll catch you guys later. All right, we're back with the Barbell Medicine Podcast today. We're talking about testosterone. I'm joined, as always, with Dr. Baraki. We're going to talk about laboratory testing. So we already discussed that it's probably not terribly useful uh, to get a testosterone test if you're not having any symptoms, okay? And, you know, the test is only like 80 bucks to get a free testosterone or total testosterone uh, uh, number back. But if you don't have any symptoms... You know, we're not really sure what to do with it. So let's say you have uh, some symptoms that we described earlier. All right, Austin, tell us about how you would go about working somebody up for hypogonadism or low testosterone. Yeah, so so the, te- the, the initial, you know, at this point, once somebody presents with symptoms that are suggestive enough to make me want to go uh, down this kind of testing pathway, the initial kind of screening test of choice that I'm going to do is an 8 to 10 a.m. total testosterone level. Um, and so the reason why we measure it at that particular time is because there is in most uh, most folks this diurnal variation where their uh, total testosterone level in the serum will peak between those hours in the morning. Um, and so basically, if you if your physiology, your body is able to produce a normal testosterone level at that time, then effectively we can say that everything is functioning as it should. And of course, throughout the day, subsequently in the day, it'll start to go down. There are a number of other things that can cause acute drops in that level. For example, uh, food ingestion, glucose ingestion uh, can cause that level acutely to drop. Um, uh, sleep disturbance, so if you uh, can cause that level to drop, alcohol ingestion, acute exercise even can cause that level to drop acutely. So, you know, this these are so so. For example, the patient that that talked to me last week, he had a he had a, a level that was measured at around two twenty seven, and he had um, he had had like a huge breakfast just that morning. He <laughs> and then he went and had it drawn. He had some. He's been having some issues with poor sleep. And so he had it checked again when he was fasted at the right time, and it was like 475. It was like significantly higher, and uh, he didn't have enough in terms of suggestive symptoms beyond just sleep disturbance um, to to uh, for us to say that he was he probably had normal testosterone function. Um, so the other side of this, in terms of you know, that's the first step to look at for someone who is concerned about their testosterone levels in the setting of some suggestive symptoms. But the other side of this is that. 
remember those symptoms that we listed were all very nonspecific, and that means that they can come from a lot of other things too. And in our experience, I think you would agree, that a lot of times we find other causes to explain those symptoms besides testosterone. And the majority of people that come to us complaining of fatigue, for example, uh, oftentimes we can trace it, the majority of the time, probably to their poor, to poor sleep habits, poor sleep hygiene, uh, sleep apnea that's not been diagnosed, things like that. But there are tons of other things that you know that, that we need to think about in somebody who, say, has fatigue, for example. Do, do they have, again, sleep disturbance issues? Do they have thyroid dysfunction issues? Do they have mood, just primary mood disturbance issues? Like sometimes people have poor sleep because they're depressed, and it's depression that's not due to something like low testosterone, which is not something that's really recognized, you know, for for um, you know, in terms of an isolated depression that's being caused by that by uh, by low testosterone, for example. Caused by yeah. hypogonadism. Yeah, it, you know, it's actually interesting. We, we could do a whole podcast on just numbers and statistics, uh, you know, even for this just particular this particular issue. But uh, low testosterone is much more rare than uh, a mood disorder, so depression, anxiety, something like that. Uh, way more, way less common. Right, right. <laughs> than uh, poor sleep habits as an umbrella term to cover sleep apnea, polysom, you know, a parasomnia or something like that. Uh, hypothyroid, for instance, much more common than low testosterone. Anemia uh, is much more common, even in men, which you wouldn't expect it to be. But I, it, the the takeaway from this is that low testosterone at large is just uh, less common than many other co- uh, uh, medical issues that we also have to either at least screen for when working this up. So I think our our standard panels look pretty sa- pretty similar when we're if we're going to send this out. So I would never send just an isolated. Te- you know, testosterone, uh, total testosterone, or free testosterone, uh, which just I'll say a word about. Uh, right now, based on recommendations uh, by the American Academy of Clinical Endocrinologists, you can send a total testosterone without sending a free testosterone. You can send both if you want. I haven't seen any recommendations that just say send a free testosterone. Um, yeah, the total testosterone is kind of like the, the moneymaker. Uh, and I don't mean a moneymaker for like pharmaceutical industry or for the medical industry, but as far as it being like the most sensitive to kind of like uh, uh, to suss out, do you need to do further further endocrinology workup? But at the same time, I'm also sending a TSH, I'm sending a CBC, I'm doing a what's called like a stop bang questionnaire, which is a screening tool for obstructive sleep apnea. You can also do a Epworth sleep sleep scale uh, sort of thing uh, for depression, yeah, or the PHQ two, depending on you know what your setting is. Um, so there's a handful of other things that we're all going to co-work up at the same time. Uh, and this is also assuming there's no additional medical history that may cause the symptomology uh, that's being uh, discussed here. So for instance, if a person has a history of like what we would previously call you know, pre, uh, pre-diabetes or even di- frank diabetes, uh, we'd much we we work that up as well to see if it's worsening. For instance, so we might send an A one another A one C, for instance. HIV, I've seen that before. Sure. I mean, you know, certain types of cancers, autoimmune diseases, yeah. tons and tons and tons of stuff can cause yeah, this. Yeah, alcohol, alcohol uh, abuse, uh, other other toxic ingestions. So yeah, there's a laundry list of things that we also have to kind of co work up once we decide to pull the trigger and go down this rabbit hole. It's not just eh, let's check my total testosterone just for just for fun. Um, yeah, and if it and if it's lower than I think it should be, then I'll just go ahead and get some injections, and I should feel magically better. It's definitely more complicated than that. More nuanced, if you will. And, and <laughs> you were waiting for that, but but the but the thing is, um, you know, some people would say, well, hey, look, hey, look, doc, it's it's my money. Like, I just I just want to know the number. 
And, and what I want to reiterate to, to the people who are listening or watching is, is why, right? The number and, and the takeaway at the end of this whole thing should be you don't need to know that number unless you have symptoms because it's not going to affect what you do in any positive manner. If the only thing it's going to do is hurt you, all right, based on your what you've heard previously from trusted resources, we'll call that the nocebo effect, <laughs> and, and your expectations of what you should be able to do or what you should feel like based on a number that is not clinically relevant at that time. So. Uh, yeah, that's definitely a huge deal. So I think that in the in the out in the real world, when you see all these ads for low T clinics and stuff like that, and they're asking you, do you have this symptom, this symptom, this symptom that are all super common? For example, um, they kind of set set it up. They set up the expectations that they'll be able to treat you and just make you feel completely invincible when you go on their their therapy, um, which from their standpoint is smart because it's going to get you in the door and they're, they're increasing your expectations to the point where they're bolstering both the therapeutic and whatever placebo effect they're going to get out of you as much as possible. Right. Um, but, you know, we see it a lot in, in the lifting world where, you know, say we have somebody who's, you know, 18 or 19 or something like that, and say they like miss a rep on one of their squats. And that's like, you know, they're triggered to go get their testosterone checked. And it's like 400. Now somebody's like, you know, well, you're 19, your testosterone should be 1200. Um, well, that's not true. Uh, and also it's going to uh, significantly affect that person from a psychological standpoint and subsequently affect their performance sure. um, because they are then subsequently going to attribute anything that any setback um, to that number that they now know about that they didn't previously know about that probably has no clinical significance. And also it can actually result in impaired performance. And so this is actually something that we're going to, uh, um, we're kind of building an, an entire kind of portion of our uh, seminar lecture around kind of the role of kind of the brain expectations, um, positive and negative, and how that can influence your performance, even your recovery, even your adaptation, actually, which is another super interesting side of this, is like it can actually affect the adaptation that you get out of whatever stress a person is, is receiving. Sure. So, all right, so let's say we have this patient can't come in, they say, hey doc, I'm tired, I've been noticing decreased performance, I'm sore more often than not, uh, I feel like I'm losing some muscle mass, uh, yada, yada, yada. He, he has convinced you to go down this rabbit hole, all right? And so you get the first testosterone uh, level back, for, uh, total testosterone, and the uh, additional lab and tests that you ordered, everything comes back negative otherwise, but the total testosterone is 220. And again, we assume that the normal range is about 250 to 1250 or 250 to 1200, depending on the lab. And let's say they're below that 250 cutoff, okay? So what is your next step in management? Yeah, so the next step is actually, and this I've seen you know, some people get frustrated by this, but the next time is a, uh, is a confirmatory test. So you check it a second time. Um, and you check it a second time for a few reasons that I'll mention, but you also check it together with a few other uh, 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 related hormones, including FSH and LH levels. Some people will also check a sex hormone binding globulin at this stage as well. Those are a few other labs that can be drawn with this. But basically, you know, I mentioned that there's this huge role of the diurnal variation um, in testosterone levels. And so you want to 
just kind of on a daily bait, like the, the, the day nights kind of cycle that affects testosterone levels rising and decreasing. And you want to make sure that, you know, you're not missing a, a part of the day where the pay, where the person is actually able to generate a completely normal testosterone level, which would suggest that everything is functioning normally. Um, there's also all these kind of other confounding factors that I mentioned. If they have like sleep issues, if they ate beforehand, um, you know, there's a number of other things that can result in a, in a false, in a, like a false uh, positive initial screen that you then can exclude after you prove that they have normal testosterone, um, you know, their, their ability to produce a normal testosterone level is intact on a subsequent test. So I've, I've had that happen a number of times where the subsequent test ends up being negative. And a lot of times for these patients by then, we've talked about this enough that they see it as a relief because they're like, oh, I didn't want to have to go on this therapy for the rest of my life. And they see it as a good thing. Whereas somebody who's actually just fishing to try to get testosterone might be like, damn, I wanted it to be low so I could go on TRT and get huge. Yeah, well, that, but that, but that's an interesting thing, though. So, so you and I both see patients in many different states, and uh, sometimes we don't have the benefit of seeing them in person, uh, which, which you know, uh, would, would potentially be a different situation. But uh, and, and a lot of the time we're inheriting other people's, other clinicians' sort of work here. So if you have not had this workup, this correct workup, it is very difficult to have different providers prescribe you TRT. So let's say you've been on testosterone replacement therapy for whatever reason, but you have not had this workup, this correct workup, which again requires two different readings of your total testosterone, a negative uh, laboratory workup for any other thing that may be causing this, I personally wouldn't feel comfortable prescribing uh, testosterone replacement therapy or other uh, sort of uh, hormonal therapy to somebody unless they've had this appropriate workup. And, and, and it's oh, it's not that it's medically inappropriate, you know, because I would hate to, to put, you know, to throw some shade at, at our, our clinical, our colleagues here, but, but it's just, it puts us in a weird position because then, then what you have to do is you have to stop TRT for a substantial period of time unless you think that the clinical benefit is outweighed by what may happen in the in the interim. So so what I mean by that is if I had a patient come in who's only had one total testosterone test uh, without the additional lab workup, without a second confirmatory test, okay, and they need a refill on their testosterone, right? Uh, I, I'm in a hard I'm in I'm between a rock and a hard hard place. So at that point I have to determine, well, if they go off of TRT for three months, okay, uh, do I, do I feel like something tra you know, terrible is going to happen? If I don't, you know, then at that point I have to tell them, Hey, look, you got to be off for three months. All right. You're, and we know that during that time that the test, uh, the, the, their body's testosterone production should come back online to the extent that it, it can. Right. And they may live with some actual symptoms of hypogonadism if they were indeed hypogonadal before. Uh, if they if they weren't, and then we test them three months later, then we're like, all right, well, you didn't really need to be on TRT in, in the first place, uh, which which may be a win, but that three months can be not a pleasant experience uh, for, for some folks. Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand the the reasoning as to why that is, you know, something that should be done. And I think a few examples might help to to explain it. For example, let's say that you inherited a patient like that, and uh, you ended up just continuing their their TRT because they were on it when they came to you, despite not having sufficient evaluation before. 
And then at some point down the line, they get admitted to the hospital like in septic shock because they had HIV this whole time that nobody diagnosed. And that was what resulted in them having low testosterone and having a, a, you know, a large proportion of these symptoms. That's huge malpractice. Like you missed something very, very, very important. Um, alternatively, if you don't go through and you do the second step with repeating it, getting an FSH and an LH, things like that, you know, those subsequent, uh, those subsequent hormones that you also check help you to localize where the problem is. So, you know, there are different types of hypo gonadism, depending on whether the problem is, is, is primarily in the brain, the hypothalamus pituitary gland, or whether it's localized more towards the testes as the primary, like the primary source of like testicular failure, for example, which is the less common uh, thing that we would see, but the more kind of catastrophic that we wouldn't want to miss somebody who has primary testicular failure. And if that never gets evaluated and, you know, late, like years down the line, they find themselves like, you know, say they're completely infertile or they have some like infiltrating autoimmune disease or something that's affecting, say, one of those glands that you never evaluated. Those are also huge medical misses that should have been that should have been caught. So, you know, it's easy for people who are not in the situation of making these decisions and prescribing these medicines to say, you know, but here's my level. It was low. I clearly need to be on TRT without kind of any understanding of the scope of what else could be going on that has not been ruled out that needs to be. Right. To add to that, you know, again, if the FH or LSH, uh, sorry, if the LH or FSH levels were through the roof and testosterone levels were still low, you're thinking, wow, is there some sort of, you know, there's a handful of cancers that can do that. Uh, it, it, yes. It, things that you don't want to miss, not just so you don't get sued, but ultimately to provide the best care to the patient. So we're not just being jerks like, you know, sitting on a mountain of testosterone, just, you know, <laughs> it, 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 it's just that we, you know, we want to provide appropriate, thorough care uh, for, for these folks. Uh, uh, other things, and again, I, I do think this kind of drives the point home that it's not all, you know, uh, roses and, and uh, uh, you know, prosperity on the other side of this TRT thing. Um, you know, if somebody is polycy has you know, some polycythemia, that is, their hemoglobin is through the roof, um, the viscosity of the blood is very, very high, and you get that on your initial workup, uh, and you haven't screened them for sleep apnea, for instance, and they have untreated sleep apnea, well, putting them on TRT puts them at risk for an embolism or a clot, a potentially stroke. Yeah, yeah, really bad secondary outcomes that, you know, people aren't, it's not necessarily on the radar because they're thinking, well, my testosterone was low. That's why I felt bad. It's like, well, no, actually, your hemoglobin was 18. Your blood has the viscosity of, like, motor oil. Yeah, 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 motor oil, right? And that's why your face is purple all the time. Uh, so, so, yeah, it's, it's uh, more nuanced than that. Um, I hope we've at least conveyed that take-home point to people, is that this is more complicated than, you know, checking one number and treating that one number. Uh, there's a lot of other considerations that need to be made. And there's also, you know, you, we need to make sure that men, uh, that expectations and understanding and education is done appropriately. I think the point that you made earlier about the nocebo effect is one that actually deserves repeating, is that, again, when you tell somebody uh, no, no matter who you are, if you're in a position of authority, so this means if you're like a therapist, if you're a physician, if you're a coach, and you're telling somebody that, you know, like, like you're doing some kind of amateur medicine and you're looking at this lab and you're like, oh man, I bet you must feel absolutely terrible with that testosterone level, for example. You know, you say things like this, or, or it's no wonder that you missed your last rep, or it's no wonder that, you know, you haven't put 200 pounds on your squat in the past eight weeks. Um, 
you're kind of reinforcing this negative uh, kind of thought process that can have a number of downstream implications. And so you're actually doing harm by saying that stuff, particularly when you're not in a position where you can actually like assess and evaluate and uh, kind of um, just really think about these labs in the context of, you know, the patient's symptoms and all the other things that need to be evaluated. Yeah, my general rule of thumb, you know, it's not like most trainers or coaches are taking the Hippocratic Oath or anything like that. But uh, on the other hand, uh, the ACSM, who is effectively the authority on pre-exercise screening, right? So the, the recommendation for them for people who need some pre-exercise screening are those with a known cardiometabolic history. So those who have history of heart attack, stroke, stuff like that, pulmonary embolism, people who have history of diabetes, uh, uh, hypoglycemia, that's symptomatic, stuff like that. If somebody has no history, effectively the ACSM says, yeah, they don't really need any sort of uh, physician clearance prior to initiating exercise unless you find signs, symptoms that are suggestive of a disease that would require physician, you know, uh, physician clearance. And so uh, with that, the, the practitioner, the, the coach is actually kind of charged with monitoring like hey, is this person like safe to train? Like, so there's some sort of commentary that may, may be there, but uh, ascribing a positive or negative sort of connotation to certain medical things it, it, when you have the role of a coach, I think is inappropriate in general, unless you are equipped to manage or, or work them up. Um, so anyway, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna find out how we treat those with low testosterone.